Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. Watch. Chop. Retrofit. Welcome to Cinema Chop Shop. This is a movie podcast where we talk about movies and shit. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. I am joined by Joey Poole. Hello, hello. Sorry, I was pouring a beer. <laughs> Todd. Harumph. And I'm your host, Sean. Today we're uh, celebrating uh, Noir-vember, Noir-vember, however you want to pronounce it. We're going to squeeze in an uh, episode where we talk about one of uh, Joey and my favorite noir actors, Laird Krieger. Uh, Todd, are you familiar with Laird at all? I had seen uh, Hangover Square uh, before and loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was per Joey's uh, suggestion. So, uh, but, but until um, this week, I had not seen anything else by him. Did so. you know any of his backstory? Uh, yes, I was aware of him having a heart attack uh, based off of a crash diet. Yep. Well, in a sad effort to become a leading man. All right, so let's jump into Mr. Laird Krieger's biography, shall we? Uh, he was born in Philadelphia, youngest of six uh, sons. All boys. Uh, his, almost seventh son of a seventh son, but almost, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> uh, his father was a professional cricket player. He was mm. on a traveling team. Who uh, even knew that was a thing in America in the early 1900s? Their, their, their team name were the Gentlemen of Philadelphia. <laughs> Knowing Philadelphians as I do, I wonder if that was an ironic name. Right. It would be now. Yeah, I think so. Hashtag still bitter. He was sent to England at the age of eight. That's where it gets interesting because yeah. without... I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna pass this off as a research, but really it's just Wikipedia and various other you know open net sources. The in, him the whole thing about him going to England is questionable. Uh, he claims to have been sent to England at age of eight, yeah, to boarding school where he got into the theater and whatnot and, and became adept at British accents. But the timelines apparently don't quite match up. They said that uh, he reportedly went back to. America when his father died of cancer but he would have been three years old at that point and there apparently there's no record at the theater he claims to have trained out there's no record of it and there's no transatlantic boat record of him actually going to England too and uh, one of his I don't know if it's a biographer or someone who had interviewed him is quoted as saying that he was very fond of liberally mixing in mm-hmm. some fiction with the fact about his Mythologizing his life. That so. was something I read as well. He was a notorious prevaricator, as it were. So he likes to um, embellish, and to what end? I just to make entertainment, his own so, self-entertainment. Yeah. I guess it just reminds us of a, little, a mutual friend of Joey's. A little bit, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get into that right now, but yeah, nah. um, yeah. Uh, and to me, it kind of adds a little bit of uh, mythology to him. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's kind of a mythological feature, uh, kind of a mythological creature in, in, in Hollywood circles anyway. Uh, and this just kind of adds a little bit of... And I wonder if that was... A, I it. think that was a little more common to varying degrees in this era when you d- you didn't have fact checkers all over the place, internet. The Sheboygan Sun wasn't like fact checking something <laughs> that they heard about whoever. Um, and so it was easier to kind of create myths, which is an American pastime, right? It makes sense to me that 
and doesn't really shock me that that might yeah. have been the case with him. Yeah. Sell yourself, I guess. Be your own PR machine. Exactly. Yeah. Krieger uh, got an early start uh, in, on stage, and then he got a copy of the play Oscar Wilde by uh, Leslie and Sewell Stokes, which it uh, resonated with him, and he wanted to bring the play to America. And it was picked up uh, by Arthur Hutchinson. They put it in Los Angeles in 1940. And it seems like a really suiting character for him. I mean, I mm-hmm. can totally see As it. soon as you said that, Oscar Wilde, I didn't think of it until you said that, but absolutely parallel um, or a perfect sort of uh, match for him, I would say. Uh, John Barrymore said that Laird Krieger was one of the most gifted young stage actors in the past 10 years. So clearly impressing... Hollywood royalty. Historian Gregory Mank called Krieger an anguished homosexual. Uh, William Mann in Behind the Screen wrote that the uh, gay rights activist Harry Hay knew Krieger in the 1930s when the rotund actor was living with the boyfriend. He said that there was no attempt to hide it. He wasn't troubled by being gay. Which is something that we were all kind of like, wow, what was that like in 1940? Something you did not hear of a guy just being not just, I guess you wouldn't say loud and proud about it, but completely just, you know, that's what I am. So and, a matter of fact. Yeah. yeah, a matter of fact, and not trying to hide it. I wonder to what degree that that might have been more common than we know, and that the much more controlled media apparatus mm-hmm. perhaps just didn't yeah. let on to it. As you mentioned, uh, uh, Todd, you know, Krieger did do a crash diet that followed his roles in The Lodger in advance of Hangover Square. And amphetamine-fueled. Yes, it was prescribed <laughs> amphetamines. Yeah. Prescribed amphetamines. That almost sounded like a throwback to what you hear about the 1880s when they would get ho- housewives cocaine or something like that. Yeah. Oh, well, here's some amphetamine. Here's some meth. Everybody like, was on laudanum who, and coke, and yeah. So you could imagine some producer like, "Here's some crystal meth. Like, you know, drop drop a few pounds, and we'll, you know." You know, you say a few pounds. He lost 100 pounds mm. in how many months? It was quick. Yeah. I don't remember the number. Significant but. In, in terms of how fast he dropped his weight. If you just look at his body between the 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 lodger and lodger, exactly, yeah, you can tell that he is. Uh, he, he shed a lot of weight. He's still a big guy. Yeah, but he's a different uh, person. Mm-hmm. Clearly. I mean, you had a big, beefy, rotund guy versus a guy who just happened to have a big frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I wonder about the, you know, Al Roker effect, as I call it, where, you know, someone that some people are just meant to be a little bit bigger. And would it have even helped his career? Al if Roker he had looks actually, unrecognizable. You know, he's like an alien now. Right. That's what yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Like he looked much better. You know, yeah. a as little a bit man. overweight as a big man. Yeah. yeah. The crash diet took a toll on his body. He had a heart attack and he um, underwent surgery at the beginning of December 1944 and, of course, passed away shortly thereafter. Um, here's something I found out this week. He was slated to star in a film adaptation of Les Mis. Which I thought was really cool. As the inspector, yeah. or I don't know what role he would have played. Uh, that would have been uh, interesting to see. I think the inspector probably would have been my guess. Yeah, but... certainly not one of the children, unless he lost a lot <laughs> yeah, of weight. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I guess the inspector is. And he did a, like a like... dwarf on golf thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Just, but... the inspector. Uh, which one's Valjean? Oh God, I can't remember. Somebody's gonna yell at us. Keep your comments to yourself, people. 
So that's, uh, in a nutshell, Laird Krieger. A five-year career in Hollywood, pumped out quite a few movies, ranging from the film noir to historic films. Uh, there's, a, there's a pirate movie that he did, or a, mm-hmm. a sailing ship kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Versatile. I'm, I'm assuming that uh, most of those films, and I haven't seen many. I've seen a couple beyond the ones we're going to talk about tonight. But like, I haven't seen many, but I'm assuming in most of those he played bit parts and or supporting roles and the three that we're going to talk about are probably his biggest roles am i mistaken about that or we i would consider them his biggest uh the other one that we considered talking about tonight was one with alan ladd and veronica lake Mm -hmm. but he didn't have as big enough of a part uh that that i felt was necessary for us to talk about him on and that's when that one is called um something about a gun have not have gun will travel but yeah it's one of those something like that He oh was, Johnny, uh, how can you? How you can love? No, no, no. Well, oh, Granny, get your gun. This gun for Granny. hire. So this he has, gun for hire. Yes, he has. He was in a movie called Granny, get your gun. I'm just okay. gun this for hire. <laughs> he was also in, um, and I don't remember him from this, even though I have seen the movie. But he was in a Heaven Can Wait. Uh huh. And I don't. That's that's one of his uh, higher rated films mm-hmm. as well. Hmm. But as we uh, alluded to. And this is the theme of the episode. We're talking about his film noir appearances. And we're going to start out with 1941's I Wake Up Screaming. Directed by H. Bruce Humberstone. That sounds like a made-up name. H. Bruce Lucky Humberstone. Starring Betty Grable, Victor Mature, and Laird Krieger. Let's just talk about the title for a second. Because that is noir as fuck. Yeah. I wake up screaming. That might be the quintessential noir title, just the title itself. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I like this one. I'm a, I'm a fan of Victor Mature's work. Mm-hmm. We've talked about him on the show before as well. Apparently, it says that it was, uh, or it was originally titled Hot Spot, which I don't really understand that one. And I wake up screaming is way better, for sure. A, a Hot Spot, it, it, I've read about that too. Um, it was... Played, it was named that for test audiences, and it has to do with one line in the film that refers to something that was a colloquialism for the time, and they thought that would be cool. But uh, you're right, Joey. I, I Wake Up Screaming is a much better title. The plot of this, uh, model Vicki Lynn is found murdered in her apartment in New York. The promoter of sports, Frankie Christopher, becomes the prime suspect of Inspector Ed Cornell and is brought to the precinct for interrogation. Christopher discloses how he promoted the career of Vicky when she was a waitress after making a bet with his friends, Robin Ray and Larry Evans. Pieces of shit. Both. (laughs) After reaching stardom, Vicky tells Christopher that she would leave and go to Hollywood and uh, the next day she gets killed. Ed Cornell insists that Christopher is the killer and frames him. Well, he, he does have pretty damning circumstantial evidence. He does. He does, yes. Yeah. Victor Mature, of course, is the one that's being framed for murder. Uh, Ed Cornell He's played... literally found over the body. Yes. It's yeah. a, it's very mu- <laughs> uh, it's very much like a uh, you know Matlock scenario where at the beginning of the episode, the innocent person is found holding the knife. Yeah, yeah. How do you get unfucked from this situation? Uh, Ed Cornell, of course, being played by Laird Krieger. Christopher can only have the support of Vicky's sister, Jill Lynn, who has just recently fallen in love with Christopher. And we're left wondering, if you're really dense, who killed Vicky? (laughs) 
but it's pretty obvious, like you said, Todd, even at, like going in blind, you kind of know early on who did it. Well, and also a subplot here: will they or won't they? You know. Oh yeah, yeah. There was that too because she was really uh, not to veer too far off of, uh, of uh, Laird right off the bat, but uh, she was very cool yes. toward Victor Mature's character early on. But they kind of warmed up to one another, mm-hmm. and then kind of became. I, I really one thing I do like about this film, though, I do like the uh, investigative duo that they form. Yeah, and uh, she's given a lot of uh, agency, I guess you could say, for the time. Though she's a very self-sufficient woman, and she's very intelligent, and it's not she's not playing second fiddle to the man. Um, without her, he's really fucked. Yeah. So I, I I applaud this film just for being kind of progressive in its sensibilities yep. in that regard. But back to Laird Krieger. One thing I thought that was kind of interesting about this film and also a little odd. So I enjoyed this film a great deal, but I did have a little bit of an issue with the tone. And one thing I thought that was interesting or perhaps problematic, depending on your viewpoint about the tone, was that until Krieger, Krieger has a very dramatic entrance into the film. Mm-hmm. Until he makes his appearance, for the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie, I thought, is this a screwball comedy that they're doing? Like a screwball comedy slash? They were cracking jokes left and right oh, at the beginning the, of the, the movie. Scene. And the club scene. Yeah. And, and they, you know, after Krieger appears, it gets very much, uh, the tone gets darker. They crack jokes here and there after that, but not to the extent that w- what we saw at the beginning of the movie. And I found that interesting slash odd that you know the tone really kind of and Krager's appearance he comes out of the shadows uh they have the framing device of course where um they're interviewing victor mature and, and betty grable after all the events have happened and uh, that's kind of the framing device and then we get uh, about 15 minutes in the movie or so um laird pops out and then shit gets dark you know, Betty Grable and Victor Mature would have been pretty close to A-list stars at this point, but it's a testament to Laird Krieger's nascent star power, I think, that he completely owns this fucking movie. Yeah, like, 100%. Yeah, I don't even think about this being Betty... When I think about it in my mind, I don't think about it being a Betty Grable, Victor Mature movie. I mean, nothing against... That. They're both great, and they're fine in the, in the film, and, you know, I like both of them. But it's his movie, and it... His his character is genuinely creepy in a way that's way different than the way that he's creepy in one of the other films we'll talk yep. about later. And both of them, I guess. But that's a great point. He they try to typecast him as creepy in every movie, mm-hmm. but to his credit, he does a different shade yeah. of creepy yeah, every time. Different flavor. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. And and it's funny you were talking about how it starts out as kind of a screwball comedy. A lot of the directing plays into some of those gags and fast talking and wise cracking kind of thing. And think about a lot of the larger actors of that day. Most of your fat guys are kind of comic relief characters. So for them to take this big hulking frame of, of, of Laird Krieger and say, no, we're going to make you the real big bad and, and make him ominous, make him scary, make him, uh, foreboding big credit to this film because this of course is early in his film career this is like one year into this five-year stint that we see him on film and clearly they latched onto something and mm-hmm. l- again like you said laird brings 
this certain flavor to the screen. And in some ways he, and this just occurred to me, but to me he, if you wanted to compare him to someone, very similar to Peter Lorre, in terms of someone who wasn't the classical attractive type actor, um, who could real, but whose acting uh, gravitas was so uh, powerful that um, you know they could that that they were made centerpieces of movies. I think that it's a testament to how his powers as an actor, but like also the the script here needs a nod too because the scariest thing in the world, not the scariest thing, but one of the scariest things in the world to me is an unhinged cop. Yeah. Or yeah, and that's exactly what he is. The power of the state directed against you, whether it's yeah, a cop yeah. or whoever, um, because uh, that and brand that's Kafka type stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, if the state is turned against you, what recourse do you have? What 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 can you do? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that and he just he really does a lot with that role. I don't. I'm a big believer in that there should not be a statute of limitations on spoilers. So, and I, you know, so I don't even want to give spoilers for a movie that's what 75 years old or whatever. But right. At the end, when when the when it's revealed, everyone's motivations are revealed. That scene could have been so corny, but it's not. It's like, not, and I yeah. I know what you're referring to, and it's it plays out as super creepy, and it has a certain resonance that like as you said with the, the 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 fear of cops who abuse their power the same goes with an obsessed killer that kind of shit still happens people mm-hmm. are still the same kind of crazy today as they were then and those notes still hit hard that final a- scene when Vin, uh, victor mature even before uh, laird krieger shows up he goes into um the uh, apartment is extremely creepy and you're like, whoa, okay. Yeah. You knew something was off about him, but, you know, when you actually see it, very effective scene. So one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, two things actually. One, this film was apparently remade uh, several years later in 1953 as a movie called Vicky, which seems by all accounts the original is the better of the two versions. I think it was the same screenwriter. Hmm. Uh, but we were talking about uh, H. Bruce... Humberstone earlier. <laughs> uh, his his filmography is nuts. Uh, he, he's got 30 plus movies and most of them are just like churning out kind of pulp stuff. He did like four different Jackie, uh, not Jackie Chan's, Charlie Chan movies. Oh God. Uh, and like four, like three or four different Tarzan movies. So like, you know, mostly like B movie pulp stuff, but quite, quite, quite prolific. This is the only... One of his movies that that seems to stand out as like a good film. Most of it's you know not having seen it, it's kind of you know just a studio grade pulp stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah just exactly. Pushing out the product. I really love Victor Mature in this. I think that uh, he did a great job of being the uh, man on the run, but at the same time sticking around to make sure that justice was served. Mm-hmm. And they set him up as the heel at the beginning of the movie. And then it turns out he's not really that he's the hero. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of a neat twist there. Uh, a lot of resourcefulness from, from him uh, and Grable. I think it's, it's, it's a cool film. If you've not seen this one, I recommend this is a good starting point for Laird Krieger. Um, if you are interested in pursuing his filmography, I like this one a bunch. 
I really think it's. And that particular movie is free on YouTube. You don't have to. It's not available to rent or streaming anywhere. At least Mm -hmm. not that I could find. It's a pretty decent print for YouTube too. You know the one that I recommended. Mm -hmm. I with the I, dorky intro from the uh, the noir guy with the trench yeah, coat and the yeah. hat. <laughs> I saw that one, but then I found another one that was an equally good print oh, that didn't have too? that. So I actually didn't I didn't watch the intro, but uh, but yeah, that, there are actually great prints of that on YouTube. I don't know why it's not available on Blu-ray or something like that. It's a great great. It film. should be. Uh, it should it's be not a great film, but uh, excellent. It's, it's what fun. It, it's really it's a, cool. It's a good film. <clears throat> And I, I think that there's a certain amount of DNA in this one that's still replicated, like you were talking about, where the, you know, everyone walks in and the guy's standing over the body, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh well, there we go. And we yeah, the twist is, uh, you know, really interesting when you find out. And I guess we're not going to do spoilers in this one. Joey says no. Well, <laughs> that's just my personal belief. See, I, my personal belief is that there are so many movies that no one can possibly watch them all, right? So I think our audience should be doing homework. A, <laughs> even someone who like us is a is a renowned film buff, there are gaps and you're like, I've never seen, you know, some huge movies that I probably should have seen. And I'd be pissed if someone gave me spoilers on this. So even what seventy five years later or however much it is Probably more than that. Fair enough. Math. I don't do, I don't do math. But uh, could do I'm sp- anti spoiler. Could do a spoiler warning and then people could check <laughs> out until you know, whenever. I wanted to say something. One one more thing. Uh it always strikes me as hilarious how people aged so much differently in the past. Yes. I would never have guessed that it, it, Lloyd Krieger Lloyd, uh Laird Krieger died when he was thirty one years old. Yeah. I would have guessed that the motherfucker was 50 in the lodger. Well, that's because kids started working when they were six. They were married at 10. They had a family at 12. They probably didn't have so great nutrition. He would have been like 27 in this when he filmed this movie. Yeah, this is... Uh, that's nuts. I listened to The Dollop a lot, and there's some of their earlier episodes. They talk about uh, the... Was it the Newsboy uprising in New York where they were, you know, you had these crime bosses who are like 12, 13, 14 <laughs> years old who are like making a difference in the uh, New York underground. And yeah, people had different, uh, there was like a different uh, uh, time scale for life uh, back mm. then. Well, I also wonder too if uh, the old fashioned dress skews our perception of how they look like if we, like if we saw them in a pair of like you know cut off jeans and you know <laughs> something like that in some other movie in a different hairstyle you know well the, there's that but also uh you know they're smoking a fuck ton of cigarettes mm-hmm. yes and they didn't know any better and that'll that'll put some age on you real yeah. quick oh, yeah. yeah yeah no offense to our smoking audience the lodger 1944 so we are uh, about three years after his previous film in between there's some really cool other movies that Laird made of different genres but this one is clearly in the noir category directed by John Brom uh, Joey do we know anything about John Brom we know that he also directed Hangover Square yes. uh, also was also written by uh, the same screenwriter uh, Barry Lyndon his name is Barry Lyndon yeah of wow. course uh, later the biopic by uh, by Stanley Kubrick of course <laughs> um, and I, you know I think that like in an alternate universe where Laird Krieger didn't 
you know, smoke meth to uh, <laughs> eat meth, I guess, to uh, <laughs> to uh, to try to lose weight in order to, you know, be more viable in Hollywood. This would have been this movie would have been the very first in a long line of movies where he's playing very wide ranging characters perhaps like with a stable of actors by the same director doing a sort of Wes Anderson kind of thing, using the same actors over and over and over again. And this should have been a star making turn for Larry Krieger. It's not a perfect movie. I got some beef to pick with the movie. Okay. Which we'll talk about later, but his performance is fucking impeccable. Yeah. And should have I don't understand. I mean, I would, I'd be the Oscars go back that far, right? Yeah, of course. I'll, who won the best? Who I'd have won to look it up. The best actor that year, because I guarantee you, it wasn't better than this performance. Yeah, this was good stuff. Uh, you mentioned Wes Wes Anderson, so I'm gonna have to jump in with this uh, news tidbit uh, that's gonna date this episode. But uh, I saw on IndieWire today that Wes Anderson and a bunch of his other buddies are launching a film app. $10 a month, curated films by Wes Anderson and his quirky buddies. Wow. But supposedly it's going to have some other cool content uh, that they're going to generate themselves, like interviews and behind-the-scenes kind of things, as well as some other stuff that I don't know what form it's going to take, but definitely kind of goes above and beyond and outside the lines of what we're used to seeing from things like the Criterion Collection. I'll definitely sign up for the free trial. Yeah, I would love to check it out. I hope, uh, I hope it works out for him. I know that yeah. uh, Travis will be their charter subscriber. <laughs> He's probably already got his money in. All right, The Lodger, starring Laird Krieger, Merle Oberon, and George Khan Sanders. In late Victorian London, Jack the Ripper has been killing and maiming actresses in the night. The Bontings. What a great name, the Bontings. A sign of the times that they changed it to actresses, if anybody knows anything about who Jack the Ripper actually targeted. Yes. They're forced to take in a lodger due to financial hardship. He seems like a nice young man, don't they all, though? Not really, though. Not He's for very long. as fuck from the first yeah, time he shows up on screen. Exactly, yeah. But Mrs. Bonting <laughs> suspects him of being the Ripper. I love how the Mrs. Bonting is is really all in a tizzy about him being the Ripper, and her husband's like, oh, no. No, no, he's a fine, fine young man. But because of some of the mysterious, suspicious habits and fears for her beautiful actress niece who lives with them. Clearly, we're talking about a Jack the Ripper film, so there are no spoilers here. Well, uh, the movie itself, again, Laird's performance is terrific, but this is not a whodunit. No. We know whodunit right from the beginning, and the movie doesn't make any bones about it, and I don't understand why. Like, I'm trying to think of what the screenwriter, the producer, whoever was responsible for that or whatever combination of people were responsible for it, mm-hmm. why they made that decision, because I don't know that it served the movie well for us to know immediately or very early on that that crate uh, that uh Laird's character was in fact the ripper have we i have not have y'all seen the original film um a, the lodger is in the title it's longer than that but it's it's one of alfred hitchcock's first movies as a uh I have a not. film this is oh. a remake of that and i'm wondering if not. you go back to the source material if it's pitched that way too because like 
Yeah, you kind of settle in for like a mystery, like a whodunit, but then I don't think this is a spoiler because it's super obvious right almost from the back. Oh, yeah. You know immediately. Lord's, uh, Larry Krieger's uh, character, whose name is um, Mr. S- Dr. Slade, uh, it's pretty obvious from the get-go that he is the Ripper. Yeah, uh, I mean, he requires a separate room that's upstairs in the loft and don't don't come in here he does that thing where he gets freaked out and turns all the portraits of the of the actresses actors around yeah, around yeah. So yeah they don't look at him and then he yeah it's yeah so so yeah clearly this is not a uh a whodunit this is more of a uh, a portrait i guess of a conjecture of jack the ripper yeah you you Devoid of all those I guess that's what I guess trappings. that was what the logic was is you know they weren't trying to do a whodunit they were just trying to do this is maybe a character study of what Jack the Ripper might have been like it's and an it, exercise in dramatic irony because I guess we know the the viewer we know sure. that he he's the Ripper but the family that he's living with apparently is and you still have and, and, and to that point you've got a a pretty dumb family uh, like you said the the father is just so. Oh, he's a good lad, and you know he'll—he's just fine. And then you have this actress who's kind of, kind of creeped out by him just a little bit, but maybe not. You know, she's like does this weird vacillation between <laughs> you know being into him and not being into him. And then of course the mother who has her suspicions, and then dad talks her down, and she's like, you know, okay, you're you're my husband, and you know I'll listen to you and and be a good wife you know so there's a lot of like caricatures going on here and it sets the stage for some of these really cool shots and scenes of Laird as the Ripper in these lurky kind of I'm going down the back entrance I'm coming in at all hours some cool studies in lighting and, oh yes and, 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 and really cool atmospherics that that just the foggy they, London streets just was beautifully right. beautifully done yeah, we're not we're not shocked at all by what's going on plot wise, but at the same time, there's some really cool scene chewing going on mm-hmm. by everybody involved. You've because you've because you kind of look at the uh, the family and the people that you know we as the audience know what's going on. They don't. They're almost like prey. You know, they're almost like like animals. You're just kind of going around in a maze, mm-hmm. and you've got Laird Krieger, who's clearly much craftier than everybody else, and that's kind of fun to watch. Um, certainly, yes. Uh, so even though it's an interesting, and I guess Joey alluded to this, but I do think that there is a sense in which uh, the movie as a movie itself, if you just look at it as, you know, what the plot is, it's kind of strange, the choices that were made. But uh, if you just look at it as sort of a character study, then it works much better, even if you still have some problems with how the execution comes about. Yeah. I, I mean, I blame that on the script because it doesn't seem like it quite... I don't think it was a great movie. script. Now, but, now, of course, as we know, anyone that follows Hollywood films in general, not just from this era, but from any era, knows that uh, the screenwriter's vision is often butchered. So who, whoever was responsible for this, we don't know. But how the screenplay ended up, though, I agree with you, uh, was problematic. Um, this often gets called, gets lumped in with a sub sub genre called gaslight noirs, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which I originally thought was about uh, gaslighting characters, <laughs> but apparently <laughs> it refers to like Victorians. Well, it could be both. Could uh, be yeah. both. 
like Victorian set film noir. And this one gets a lot of mileage out of that stuff. And I love the, like, just the little historical fiction details. Like, they're always, like, they're, they're lighting, can't like, wicks and, like, carrying them around to light the, uh, oh, yeah. the, the lamps as they go into different rooms. And they, it gets a lot of mileage out of that stuff with shadows and things like that. So Now, there is one glaring error in this film, and it has to do with the investigator uh, taking fingerprints because which wasn't a thing at the time right? first the first use of fingerprinting in england was in 1901 so clearly mm. we are off by about 20 years so <clears throat> yeah. i wondered about that when we watched but then i didn't care quite enough to look up when fingerprints <laughs> that was started. probably clearly what they hoped in making the film they were like nobody's i'm sure they thought about it but no they were like nah nobody's gonna <laughs> care <laughs> but again back to the core of the episode i i think that laird krieger was just great in this i could see someone of his size stature intellect and sensibilities being jack the ripper well and here's the thing that i thought was really cool about this that i mentioned earlier was that even though he kept getting typecast of these creepy characters it was a different type of creepy character and his performance as the crooked detective uh in um in uh the I wake up screaming. I wake up screaming um, is much different than the creepy character in this movie, who is a much seems like a much more sensitive person, a person who you know could fool people with like just not not necessarily with his personality, but just he's nice. He's like not not doesn't seem like someone who would threaten you that much. And then he's very soft spoken. Soft spoken. He says creepy shit, but it's like kind yes. of like delivered in this kind of like whispery monotone it's and like it, that but, nice Dahmer boy <laughs> i remember when, whereas uh, with the cop character though I, I just to finish that point though that cop character was creepy but in a much different way not soft-spoken at all not very much i mean and even the tone of voice that he used was different um and i just that that really struck me as i was watching uh uh that movie um or uh, the um you know, those two movies together was that, you know, his portrayals were much different, uh, even as he was, you know, doing creepy characters. I remember when my first introduction to Larry Krieger was, was it last year or two years ago when the Noir Vember th- thing came out on, on Criterion? Sean texted me and you had mentioned we had both watched one of these movies and then you had watched another one. And Sean texted me, and the the text said, "Oh, he's unrecognizable from the you know the previous movie acting." <laughs> so I, I, I remember that, and that was kind of like that was my introduction, I guess. To him. This one's fun. I, I like this one a lot, and for the reasons that we mentioned. But it, it's kind of sad to watch it, knowing that he's about to make this in his personal life this giant turn. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was already starting that diet, I think. When yeah, this, I when think this so began, too. And apparently, was suffering pretty badly from abdominal abdominal pains <clears throat> and problems because of it during yeah. the filming. When you watch them in the order that we're covering these two, um, and by the way, this one's on Criterion for anybody who subscribes to the Criterion channel. You can see this gradual shift in his body, and it's. Sad. It, it is truly sad because we were robbed of a very talented actor who God knows how long this guy's career would have gone on otherwise and had been a uh, almost like a, like 
like a, a Jackie Gleason kind of body. I mean, he, he kind of yeah. had that kind of frame a very, but, but he was of a, a much more sophisticated persona. Or Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio is who I yeah, think yeah. of with him body wise, body type wise. Yeah. Yeah. If you um, had, to, if you had to make a comparison to an actor today, I think D'Onofrio would be kind of that guy where he takes his acting very seriously. Now, whether or not he succeeds every time is a, up for debate, but clearly the guy's got a giant breadth of range. Right. And he really enjoys what he does. Right. And I think that Laird Krieger kind of definitely mimics that for sure. Yeah. I also think, to me, and this is just sort of a random side thought, but it's just a reminder when you see someone who died at 31 of something that probably wouldn't happen today, how it wasn't that long ago that people would just drop dead very frequently from things that uh yeah the lifespan has expanded in such a quick period of time all of our grandparents could have easily died oh, well yeah. before they gave birth my grandfather for instance uh had two, uh, was one of six siblings and two of his siblings died within six weeks of each other of ailments that would be easily cured today thinking of Lair dying in that fashion I mean, obviously, methamphetamines will kill you, but at the same time, that no one would feed someone methamphetamines to lose weight. Correct. Clearly preventable. Anyway, so sorry. No, no. Now we got that Ozempic. <laughs> we <Yeah>. have one. <laughs> Which one is that? Ozempic is the diabetes medicine that, like, is the new weight loss drug. Well, what I meant to say was, what pop song cover oh. is the, used in their commercials? <laughs> I uh, you pay way more attention to the commercials than I do. I don't they, know. They all, they all seem to be using like classic rock songs now and re-singing them. Um, all right, let's go take a break and uh, go pee in the yard and all that business. But uh, before we go, we need to say, let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby and have ourselves some diet pills. Oh, man, that's a downer. Ah, sorry. That's actually an upper. Yum, yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. We promise to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go. And we're back from intermission. We peed in the yard. And we're cracking open beers. Uh, we've been sipping on some good stuff so far today. Todd, what do you have? It is a sycamore beer and one that I'd never tried before. So uh, on the show before, I've had the, uh, on a couple of occasions, I've had the, um, the what is it, the hard candy? Is, it, is that what it's called? The Mountain candy. Mountain candy. Mountain candy, which is really good. This one is called uh, Small Batch Mids, which is an Indian pale ale, and it has a excellent can with these characters on them. How would you describe these characters? They're like Sour Patch Kids. Sour Patch Kids, yes. Uh, great can. Anyway, I gave it a whirl, and it's pretty solid. Not my favorite of Sycamore, uh, but but pretty good. Uh, let's see. Earlier we were drinking uh, from uh, Burial Brewing uh, The Folly <laughs> of Materiality mm. with a beautiful design for the can, a cryptid with a all-seeing eye in a forest of eyes. 
Also, one of the best beers I've had in recent memory. Yeah, too. Joey, Joey was beer. feeling. I liked it too. I thought it was a really good. It was hazy, tasty, hazy IPA. And then I've got one more can of the Slough Water from last week. The uh, the coffee porter, which I think is quite nice. I, I'm enjoying that one. I'm not a big porter guy, but this one's pretty good. And Joey's drinking the Fest beer. I am drinking yes, the Sierra Nevada Fest beer. All right, we got one more. We're going to talk about. And this is probably, I mean, you know what, going out on a bang. I mean, this is uh, probably Laird's best film, I would say, that I've seen at least. I mean, I, I it kind of it grew a little bit in my estimation upon my rewatch earlier this week, too. Yeah. I mean, it, I loved it when I first saw it, but it, perhaps even more. So I may amend my letterbox review of it. In oh, fact. cool. Uh, released... Uh, Two months after his death, 1945's Hangover Square, uh, directed by the aforementioned John Brom, starring Laird Krieger, Linda Darnell, and George Shercon Sanders. So, as you said, Joey, you've got the stable of actors mm-hmm. that were trying to create this uh, circle of people. What could have been? Yeah, what could have been? Uh, London, early 20th century. George Harvey Bone is a very promising musician who is working on a concerto that is likely to fulfill that promise. Uh, Sir Henry Chapman, a distinguished conductor, wants to uh, perform it at one of his uh, soirees with Bone at the piano. Chapman's daughter, Barbara, is thrilled she's in love with George and believes in his talent. The black cloud over George, of course, over his life is his propensity for having black little moods, quote unquote, where he blacks out and shit happens. Uh, he visits Dr. Alan Middleton of Scotland Yard. Middleton is an expert on the mind. Uh, the doctor's suggestion that George get um, out and mingle with ordinary people may be good in theory, but it leads George to meet Netta Longden, a duplicitous music hall dancer. Netta leads George into a torment that sends him into ever blacker and blacker moods where he does things he can't remember and wouldn't normally do. First off, I love Scotland Yard way better than FBI. Come on. Right. Let's get, let's get a better name. Uh, American, uh, you know, cops. But anyway, um, this movie, uh, I really like quite a bit it's pro- i probably i might put it in my top 10 noir films hmm. uh it's uh there's an episode for you yeah yeah if we yeah did a ranking um but uh it's got a horror element to it i think very clearly and it very no, it's much and it's Hyde. jekyll and hyde yeah yeah, yeah. or or jekyll and hyde but also uh i thought as well of a uh, phantom of the opera in True. a lot of ways because of the musical element and of course fan of the opera and Jekyll and Hyde are, are similar in a lot of ways but um, the again the one thing I want to emphasize uh, that I mentioned earlier about Laird's ability to take what was probably typecasting hey let's put this big dude in this creepy role he was able to make it very unique nevertheless and not repeat himself and repeat his performance so we mentioned earlier in the cop role he was very kind of hard core menacing menacing this one he's kind of a feat yes 
And in the one before that that we uh, mentioned, um, The Lodger, he was, I don't know what the word would be to describe it, maybe in between those two things a little bit. Uh, but I thought... Surgical. That, yes, mm. that's a good word. And so I thought that even, to me, that's the one of the characteristics of a, of, of a great actor is even when they try to pigeonhole you and put you in the same type of role, oh, this guy can be the creepy guy, you do something completely unique and completely um, memorable that doesn't fade into other performances. In my bad memory, because I've seen this movie twice now, I totally forgot the the key plot point. <laughs> I did too. I did too. I, I, thought, I, yeah. I, I thought that Laird was the hero in this and that someone else... Sorry, Joey, but this is a bit of a spoiler. I thought that someone else was the uh, the, the person who was doing the, the the evil diabolical shit. And uh, no, he he in, in all three of these movies, he's always kind of the sympathetic, but yeah, ends up kind of being the the heel, like or whatever you want to call him. This one to me is elevated by a couple of things. It's it's a it's a very good movie. Um, based on a novel, by the way, by Patrick Hamilton, who incidentally wrote the play that became Hitchcock's Rope, which is one of my favorite kind of underrated, I think, Hitchcock movies. This one to me, though, is elevated by two scenes. Uh, One is there's a Guy Fawkes burning effigy. Oh, God, indeed. Which is just so macabre in the way that it happens in the movie, and the it, when you the see Krieger, it's yeah. like sweat pouring down his face, and he's climbing this 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 burning stack of trash. And, I challenge uh, any modern horror film. That's where I mentioned the horror element. Yeah. But I challenge any horror film to duplicate this, where yeah. you have you know this sort of macabre, the killer carrying uh, his victim in the where middle of a crowd. Where, where do you, you stash the body? It's almost like it, it is similar in some ways to Halloween in that, you know, Michael Myers, because it's Halloween, is able to hide among, you know, walk out in broad Hiding daylight and, and hide among hide, hide amongst sight. everybody. Because yep. of the Guy Fox uh, festival, you know, his character is able to just kind of wander around with Carrying a dead body, a body in his hand, yeah. Yeah. you know. Well, the other uh, scene I think that elevates this one is the climax. Yes. Which, I'm sorry, is as good as anything that's ever been put on a film. Uh, he, you know, this concerto that he's been working on the entire time, Nettie wants him to write basically pop songs and for she her. wants to borrow elements from his mm-hmm. concerto yeah. for which, her pop no, songs. No, honey, that's my, that's my concerto. All right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and I don't know, maybe it's just because of, my creative bent that that really hit home with me. Like she wants to oh, corrupt absolutely. his art for it. Not only corrupt it, but to trivialize it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, without giving too much away, the the film ends with this doomed concerto. He's playing the concerto as the hall literally burns down around it's him. And awesome. uh, you just he gave it away. Fucking eats the scenery, man. Like and his special effects go. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I youth. How is he not playing in the middle of a burning building? Because it looks like mm-hmm. he's playing in a fucking burning building. No, it's 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 a that final scene. Well, and that's why that's I, that's why I would probably have it if I rank my top ten noir films. Have it in the top ten are the two scenes we just discussed, which I think are magnificent and uh, 
yeah, I mean, my God. What's cool about this scene. movie? Another cool thing about this movie, and talking about talking about noir films and the, the the typical story structures involved in noir, and that usually centers around the detective. Mm. Early in the movie, he goes to the detective and says, "I've been having this problem, mm. and I think I might be a danger." He basically presents himself on a silver platter to Scotland Yard and says, "I'm your prime suspect," yep. and. George Sanders, in his fucking amazing British way, is so restrained and cool, calm, and collected about it. He says, well, maybe, you know, maybe you should just kind of... While go- trying to mack on his woman, by the way. Well, yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> but also, maybe you should go out and, like, you know, socialize with people. That might do you some good. <laughs> But yeah, maybe we ought to put a couple of guys on him. Yeah, you know? exactly. See, we'll see what he's up to. Yeah, he's telling us that he might be. You know, maybe. Let's see. Yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see what yeah, see I, what shakes out. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't you should I, really get out more as good advice for someone who's having like fugue states that might may or may not be murderous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, the performance I agree is outstanding. I'm not sure that the uh, character himself comes off well in terms of his. You know, cop abilities. Yeah, he he's pretty much uh, got no scent for the uh, the action. He's, he's just like he he definitely lives in his uh, his cerebral state for sure. He's like, okay, well that's cool. You know, we'll, we'll think about it. Yeah. But any other cop would have been like, hey, where there's smoke, there's probably fire. Yeah, just a just a a great movie and. I don't. I'd have to sit down and look at my top ten. I don't know if I got quite as far as Todd, so I'll put in my top ten film noirs. But well, I mean, that was just it, fifteen, was, twenty, whatever. My estimation of it really increased upon my second viewing of it. Like I said earlier this week, and a lot of that has to do with Larry Krieger's performance, which is amazing. But those two scenes I mentioned earlier—that's just good filmmaking, and you don't really. You don't really expect that from, uh, what's his name, John Brahms, looking at the rest of his filmography. Yeah. You don't necessarily expect that. There are some beautiful shots in this film, too, though. Like, you can do freeze frames all throughout this movie and get some gorgeous shots, especially, you know, playing the piano with the flames licking around him. They're just fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like you. I want to go revisit what you said about the special effects in that scene I would be really curious to know how that was filmed because it does not like normally with films of that era even if you you can tell yeah that, even oh. if they're really if it's well done you can kind of know okay well this is how they did that or whatever but like I don't know how they filmed it looks that. like he went back into the flaming room and said I gotta finish playing y'all Oh, Chill. it looks like the hall is coming down around him. Yeah. As people are fleeing, and he's just, you know, obsessed. Yeah, yeah. He's and doing. Maybe his... when the director yelled cut, there was a team of medics running in with oxygen masks. <laughs> if they know. had oxygen masks back then, I don't know if they did. But, but uh, you know, Todd, to your point, you know, the obsession that he brings to this performance is way different than his obsession as Jack the Ripper, you know. Yep. And his obsession. With with uh, with the uh, the the I wake up screaming. Yep, all these characters we've talked about have an obsession of some kind, yeah. uh, but the way that he performs and manifests that is much different each yeah. time. And the concerto itself, 
is memorable too because it's fucking it's discordant and weird and it's yeah. pretty in spots and it, it just seems like the I don't know if this was an actual piece of music that I'm not I'm not well versed enough in in classical esque music to know this or not if this was an actual piece of music they used for the film well not this was Bernard or, Her- this was Bernard Herman uh, did the score did the score yes well that concerto sounds exactly like something that. A character in Harvey George Harvey Bone's mental state would have composed. I, I love this movie. I think it's really cool, and what a damn fucking shame that it this this was his last film. But mm-hmm. if you're gonna go what a out, fucking legacy there. If man. you're gonna go out, then you want to go out like that. I guess I mean, he really nailed it. I I would assume that he's kind of. And he Shame. died, uh, but he 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 was dead two months after when this was released, right? Yeah, Isn't he was that, dead, yeah. and then it was released two months afterwards. Yeah, yeah. and I, I would assume that maybe he channeled a lot of what was going on in his personal life into this performance because he seems very anguished, and by all accounts, this was near the end of his life. He was having y'all, if you think about physical problems yeah. and abdominal cramps and whatnot because of this, you know, crash diet and whatnot. And that, I think that all kind of comes out in the performance. Well, y'all, if we think about it, this was his Heath Ledger, um, Joker, Joker type performance. If you think yeah, about and it, um, listener, uh, I would definitely encourage you to check these out because, because again, I do think it's a performance that maybe goes above yeah. the movie a even, little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you don't watch these movies, check out just stills from the films to see the difference from the lodger. Well, fuck that. Don't be lazy. Watch the movies. Yeah. Please do watch the movies. But seriously, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast and you uh, don't <laughs> want to watch a film noir movie, come on. <laughs> but uh, seriously though, his, his physical change is amazing and shocking and disturbing. Like you said, his performance also, I think reflects a lot of that as well. So, yeah, that's Laird Krieger. Yeah, I mean, I, and actually, I didn't even think of Heath Ledger before I said that, but a very similar career where you just had maybe five years. Ledger may have been around a little for bit longer, ten, but a little bit longer, but he wasn't doing sure. major. But when he started doing the roles that he was respected for, it was probably a five year period. His trajectory right? was definitely yeah. ascendant. Uh, yep, definitely. And mostly playing what were thought of as supporting roles rather than leading roles, even though. True they end up being the quality of leading roles. Um, Here we go back to my, uh, my strictures against spoilers. Um, here's a huge gap in my filmography, my, uh, my watch list. I have never seen the dark Knight. Yeah. Are you, f- I have never seen it. Oh my God. This is probably one of the best that, superhero films. Slash- that might, uh, for someone who yeah. is very clearly a cinephile, that might be one of the worst <laughs> Uh, it's a gap. It's holes, a gap. Yeah. gaps that I've ever heard. It's a gap. You should watch that. That's Ledger's performance yes. is really good. I have some qualms about the the film itself, and you can look up on YouTube for those of you who are like, "What do you mean you have qualms about the film?" There are a lot of sloppy um, continuity errors in this. Lots of. Them. I never catch those. Um, Sean Sean is like a idiot savant about yeah, catching but, uh, but look <laughs> about continuity errors. If you're supposed to be a, you know, I'm sorry, but if you're supposed to be like a, you know, like a master director like um uh what's Christopher, Nolan? Christopher Nolan is supposed to be, you can't have the number of continuity errors that are in The Dark Knight. Sorry. It did remind me though a lot of the arc of um Laird uh, Krieger's career. 
check him out everybody he's worth your time uh and the cool thing about these great uh noir films is they're all about an hour and a half each lean and mean that's one thing i love about that yeah. genre yeah mean, you don't have a three-hour film yeah. noir yeah these that three, i can think of you can cram in these three movies in four and a half hours you're yeah. done in, in the the amount of time that you could watch Oppenheimer, yeah. or, yes, or Napoleon. Nick, or, Nicol, Nicholas yeah. Ray is not making you sit through three and a half hours of, <laughs> of a film, you know. All right, uh, we've got a few minutes left. Anybody got any plugs or films that we should see? I'm going to go with uh, a, a film noir since it's noir November that I saw recently that I thought was really cool with Edward G. Robinson, who, if you're not familiar with him, is a yeah, wonderful see. actor from the. Uh, 40s, was in a lot of noirs. It's called A Night of a Thousand Eyes. And what's cool about this movie is it's a combination of film noir and gothic horror. So Edward G. Robertson's character plays this essentially a clairvoyant who some people think is a fraud. And he actually was a fraud at the beginning of the movie, but then he actually, it was kind of weird. He's a fraud at the beginning of the movie, but then he actually does develop clairvoyant abilities. So it's a little odd in that sense. I think I've seen this one. Yeah. Now that you said that. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But, but he foresees the deaths of people. That's the main thing that he actually sees. He doesn't see good stuff early in the movie. He, you know, he wins some bets for some friends, whatever, but uh, he goes into hiding for a while and um, this movie, the ending is a little flat, but overall, though, this is a movie that I would highly recommend because of the combination of the uh, genre elements that I just mentioned. Edward G. Robinson being a wonderful actor, so check it out. Got it. Joey, plugs, uh, movies. Well, I, this isn't necessarily one I'll plug, but I, I want to discuss it very briefly. Um, I'm catching up at the very end of the year on my 2023 movie challenge. And I'm watching a category now, uh, which is like New York Film Festival favorites, I think. And for that one, I watched Abbas Kiriostami's Taste of Cherry. Well, just so everyone knows, uh, that particular... So Joey Joey Poole and I both uh, came up we with categories for a list. Next semester, next, and so, next and so, so what he mentions with this New York film list is a curated list that you can find on mm-hmm. the Criterion channel. Okay. So if you're interested in finding what New York Film Festival... Yeah. favorites um well, there's there's a whole curated collection of these so anyway originally i had uh lars what's his face is breaking the waves von trier yeah von trier's at, at you should have waves. watched breaking this, the waves it's I'm an amazing watch movie. it but it's three and a half hours long <laughs> and i'm struggling to get all these movies in before the end of the year so i went with the hour and a half long taste of cherry which is like one of those movies that people just fillet okay. i hate right? it that movie did you watch? I fucking hate that. It's movie. it's terrible. I'm. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't know that you had watched that. Like, it's that not mo- good. Anybody listen to this movie that likes Taste of Cherry? I don't believe you. I don't believe you actually watched it. And also, the <laughs> stuff boring. that it has to say about suicide <laughs> is juvenile and stupid. Oh well, you yes. can just the taste of a mulberry could like help you know. You, uh, fuck you, man! Like they're that, riding if, around if in a car. If someone's really suicidal and you're like, once I was gonna kill myself, but then I tasted a mulberry and I found life again. Fuck you, man! That, that that's a stupid understanding of depression. the whole movie. And then just the the plot element. They're riding around in a truck and the whole movie. Oh, and he's having conversations with people who are supposed to be real people. Oh my god! And it's, it's a no. terrible conversations boring 
For oh about 10 minutes, I thought that, oh, this is a very hypnotic, meditative, like cinema, cinematographic experience. But then you realize it. No, we're just watching this fucking Land Rover drive around these hills outside of Tehran for like an hour and a fucking half. Oh, and Jesus. let me tell you something. This director, um, and I, I, I don't want to butcher his name. He's an Iranian director, Abbas Kiarostami. His movie Close Up is brilliant, and I love it. And it's uh, an incredible movie. And I'll do a second uh, recommendation. I'm glad to hear I'll, that. I'll, I'll do. I'll do. I'll do a second recommendation on Close Up. It ha- it's a faux documentary where he about a real event where mm-hmm. he gets the actual people involved with it to play versions of themselves in the movie, and it something that could have worked horribly, but is absolute. I mean, it's just a terrific movie so this director i actually like in that particular case and love it but taste of cherry if you if you claim that you love that movie i don't believe you and go fuck yourself all right tell me how you really feel <laughs> i wasn't gonna go quite Thank that you. Hard, joey i didn't know you yeah. would watch that movie but i'm glad someone else watched it and hated it because night, that was night. a wow. terrible movie well i'll lighten the mood a bit <laughs> Um, do you guys ever remember a uh, YouTuber who, known as Weird Arby's Guy? There's a YouTube video that came out several years ago about somebody who ran their car into an Arby's, and it was a news piece, and this strange guy who worked at Arby's gets interviewed by the news person. I do not remember I don't know, this. but yeah, no. It was completely fabricated, except the news article really, really did happen, but they inserted this strange Arby's guy into it. He's an actor. His last name is Bowser. And uh, no relation to Bowser from the, the 70s. Super Mario That's Mario. what I was thinking. Yeah. But he has, I was going to think of Super Mario. <laughs> That's uh, or thinking, or yeah. Super Mario. But he has uh, a film that's out, and this is so much lighter and so much bubblegum compared to what you just talked about. It's called Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls. Completely charming film, very predictable, starring uh, him, of course, because he's the writer, director, and star of the movie, but it also is supported by Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs of Reanimator fame. Um, if you are a horror film enthusiast, <laughs> you will enjoy yes. a lot of the nods to this uh, this as well. But uh, he's a Satanist, and he's invited to this great Satanist house to... You said Satanist, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great. It's a lot of fun. It's very silly. Very, I, I stress this, it's very silly, but it has its charm. So it's worth checking out. That sounds amazing. Andrew Bowser is his name. Uh, Jeffrey Combs trivia. Uh, Jeffrey Combs bears the distinction of being uh, the one actor who has been in more Star Trek franchises than any other. Lovely. And with that little bit of dorkiness, we're going to close (laughs) out this episode. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, enduring our November episode. We just felt it was necessary to wedge this in here. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to do a uh, just a regular old episode. We're going to talk about blackmail movies. You guys don't know about this. Movies that center around blackmail as part of its plot points. I think there might be some noir movies in here, possibly. Probably. It's up to you. It's kind of going to. It's going to be one of those free for all. Bring your, uh, bring your own lunchbox kind of things, and then uh, we are getting dangerously close to episode three hundred. So uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. We and you're the, obviously going to talk about the movie three hundred. You think? 
<laughs> maybe, maybe not. But in the meantime, please. Four famous baseball players who batted 300. Exactly. Joey. I was just going to say, watch Chop and Retrofit, Sean. Oh, well. I was, I was on it. Well, um, I was gonna, I was gonna hit my mark. You kind of jump at the gut. We got, we got to promote the shit. We're gonna say, please uh, rate, review, subscribe to all of our shit. Spade uh, and neuter your animals. Thank you, and thank follow you us on social media. We are uh, Cinema Chop Shop everywhere except for YouTube, where we are Cinema Chop Shop Podcast. And you do not have to see us on YouTube when you watch it, dude. We got 18 views on the Garbage Pail Kids episode oh, already, shit. so the bots are watching. But seriously, uh, in the meantime, please remember to watch Chop Retrofit. Retrofit.